Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast. I am your host, Ame Grigic, and today my guest is Stefan Leinen. Could you tell a little bit about your background? So uh, what you did before uh, War Child and also uh, what spoke to you about War Child? Sure. So I have a background in artificial intelligence. Started with an interest in psychology, actually. Um, then I found out about this thing called artificial intelligence, where you can uh, not only study the brain and how it works and the biology and the psychology and the philosophy, but also uh, apply it in a computer and do experiments with it. Um, so I moved into that field. I finished a PhD in uh, machine learning uh, on the concept of artificial creativity, which has nothing to do with my current work. <laughs> <laughs> it's in- interesting. It's handy. <laughs> it's handy. Um, and so I have, I have a background in academia. I've been uh, lecturing at uh, uh, Amsterdam University of Applied Science. Um, I've, I've been freelancing for a very long time. So I've done management consultancy, some, some agile uh, workshops, um, developer also. So, so sort of picking up things here and there, learning <laughs> here the and place. there, all over the place. And then um, a lot of it centered around uh, game development and around AI. And uh, for the former, an opportunity arose uh, summer last year at Warchild, where we are uh, building educational games uh, for for education uh, of children in uh, conflict-affected uh, areas. Um, and there was a new CTO position which was created, which wasn't there before. It was created particularly for this program mm-hmm. to get more technical knowledge in-house. And so I applied. So now I uh, get to work with game development, which is great. Uh, but I also get to work with data, infrastructure, uh, all kinds of web technology. So it's, it's, a, it's in a very interesting and very sort of wide ballet of technologies that I'm, uh, I, I get to dive into uh, every day. Yeah, and uh, what's interesting about it is that uh, maybe it's good to explain a little bit about what World Child does and what the mission is um, before we go into the, what your role is, uh, is, is there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of a step to take to think about it. Uh, Starting from our, 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 our vision, which is uh, basically no, no child should be in, in war ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so what Warchild does is we provide, we work exclusively to improve, to improve psychosocial well-being uh, for children who are affected by conflict. Um, and so what we try to do is to boost the strength and confidence of these children who are forced to live with the effects of uh, violence and uh, armed conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, the way we typically work is is through sometimes very creative uh, um, like workshops, uh, doing music, uh, play, um, and dance to build a connection with uh, with children in our programs and to provide a safe space and to uh, give children also a voice. Yeah, and the uh, what would you say the type of organization it is? Is it kind of like a charity? Uh, can I call it a charity, or is it a little bit more than that? So. Uh, I, I, international NGO yeah. would be would be the, the term to use there. So, if the word charity to me uh, sounds like uh, they provide exclusively donations, yeah, and sure. uh, of course we are a charity in the sense that you can donate to War Child, uh, and uh, but we also, of course, we implement programs ourselves. We work with partners who are implementing. So. Yeah. But, uh, the context of that is that uh, technology program like uh, Can't Wait to Learn, which is which is the the e-learning program that we're uh, currently. Uh, um, working on, um, it's it's it typically starts out as a, as a as a smaller pilot, of course, because there's a lot of validation you you need to do. It's it's val- it's about validating the type of education that we're offering within a particular context, 
uh, also delivered by an NGO. So that's that's uh, something that that you start up small typically. So yeah. we uh, we started with that uh, back in 2012. The history of the program goes 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 way back. It actually originated from Sudan. Oh, right. um, so it, it's not even a program that was uh, started by us, but we at some point in 2012 uh, developed a pilot program to to validate those assumptions. Um, later on, 2015, we had a more extensive, a more large scale pilot, also in Sudan, uh, working together with uh, with uh, universities there and, and uh, other partners. Um, and so, two years ago, we two three years ago, we we had another scale up step, and we uh, were given the mission to to enter new contexts, new countries. And also to not only build a mathematics game, which we had previously built, but also reading games for uh, reading, also a bit of writing, uh, and in the future perhaps also other curricula like uh, like in English as a, as a second or mm. additional language. So as you scale up, um, you you work with suppliers typically as an NGO, as you're not a tech organization. Uh, but as you scale up, you find that you need to think more about productization, about how how do you manage and align all the suppliers, uh, create roadmaps, etc. So at some point you want to bring at least some of the tech expertise more in-house um, as, as part of your long-term strategy. So that's, that's why this role was created. And mm-hmm. that also sort of defines my, my sort of day-to-day work, which is uh, a lot about uh, thinking ahead and about uh, working with our tech suppliers and making sure that everything is aligned. Yeah, and w- what were the kind of challenges within that uh, in that space? Because you, you said you started uh, about a little bit over a year ago, right? Uh, what what kind of challenges were there uh, when you came in that uh, you needed to face? Yeah, so I started in uh, August 2017. Yeah. Um, one of the challenges was that we had a number of games uh, in development. So. Uh, to give you uh, an idea, so we, we back then were working for games in Lebanon, uh, Jordan, and Sudan. They were all different games, meaning they have a common core, they have a, like some commonalities in the design, but uh, the, the, the artwork, the videos that we produce, everything is, and also the curriculum, everything is fit for that particular context. So there were a number of parallel games in production, um, and we were about to release... Uh, the first of those games and put them in a, in, a, in a school and in a learning environment. And once you release software, uh, that's when reality sometimes hits you. Yeah. So that was right. there was a, a very interesting challenge to begin with, of course, um, because that that's the point where you you suddenly notice where are your blind spots, what are the things you're things you're missing, um, not just in terms of software development because that's that's of course also planned out well ahead, but also in terms of implementing. So mm. you 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 ship the tablets there, you have to install them at scale, you have to make sure they work. There needs to be support infrastructure. Those things have been thought about before we started implementing but once you start doing it is when you find out where your your sort of blind spots and your weak spots so i would say the first couple of months of of that so last year uh was also um uh, making sure it's a complete program so yeah having those and also um maybe it was also about getting kind of an idea of what the whole inventory is right about the, the whole 
what what's kind of the whole environment that you're going to uh, to, to create? I think that's that's one of the things uh, that you yeah. did, right? What is what is the fit with with the schools or the uh, learning centers where we work? Yeah. So one of the things that I wouldn't have thought of uh, ahead was well, if you have those tablets in a school, you have to store them somewhere. You have to charge them somewhere. So mm-hmm. you need devices, and and schools don't have that typically. So you need devices and ship them to the schools, uh, which which not only allow you to store them securely and safely and allow you to charge them, but maybe also have some interaction with the, with the devices or have like a, a router on board, for example. And these, these are things that um, you can think of them ahead, but if you don't, you have to improvise. Yeah, so the, the games that you have right now, the, they are in multiple countries at the moment, right? Yeah. So uh, how, is, is, that, is it still... Uh, is it still fixed to a particular country, the kind of games that you have? Is it uh, per country basis that you have like a game that is works one way or is it, st- is it more standardized right now? So I think there's two answers. The first is a technical answer, mm-hmm. which is how our code base yeah. sort of, uh, is, is built up. There's a, a common core for all games, mm-hmm. which include a certain logic. So the games are built up in the sense that we have a, what we call an overworld. So it's a big map. Uh, with locations, with characters, uh, children can play around with that and then sort of enter a location, get a story, and then they enter a, a piece of educational content, which can either be uh, an instructional video or uh, a, a mini game, short, a short game. We have we have hundreds of different of mini games, um, and each mini game has, of course, a, a set of questions that, mm-hmm. you, that gets asked because it's it's a, it's a curriculum that spans multiple years, so there's a lot of content, of course, that needs to be made. Um, so the way we divide it up in the code base is there's a common core which deals with things like logging and saving, authentication of students, uh, what is an overworld, how do you start and end minigames, etc. Mm-hmm. And then based on top of that, there are um, curriculum-dependent libraries of videos and minigames. So we have a different set of games for, let's say, reading and writing than we have for mathematics because they are different types of, yeah, of uh, course, yeah. learnings. And then on top of that, we have the particular logic and art uh, of that particular country. And so a part of that is, is all the art that is developed. Uh, so, so videos, all audio files. We have a lot of audio because the children can't read or write yet. So you have yeah, to do a lot with course. audio. Um, uh, uh, images as well. Um, so we develop those almost... All the content is developed in the country where the game is going to be uh, uh, implemented. Yeah. So we have video studios, for example, in each of these countries where who create the videos with children. So if a, ch- a child plays a game, they, uh, they they see someone from their own country, their own context, and so there's there's a better match. So that's that's at the highest level of the of the code base. It's country specific curriculum uh, specific. Um, yeah, that's, what, what's the idea behind that? So uh, I can imagine that, of course, if you uh, get into some kind of uh, uh, some kind of class like uh, history or something like that, I can imagine that it kind of differs. Uh, but for example, for mathematics, it's pretty much always the same, right? Uh, what, what's the, the real reasoning behind it? Well, so that's the interesting thing. It, it isn't always the same. It's mm. what we find out. I would say so, it was, but uh, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of our uh, our, our pillars, are one of our uh, uh, way, part of our way of working is that we always work together with the Ministry of Education in a in a country because yeah. we believe that's the best way to do it and uh, makes life easier. Um, so we work together with the Ministry, and we also adopt the local curriculum 
Okay. So, and of course, curricula differ, not just between math and reading, but also between countries. Each country has their own standard curriculum. So what we do is we, uh, we have a number of steps. In, by now, it's, 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 it's really part of a, of, a, of, a, of a process that we've discovered where we gamify a country's curriculum. And of course, we can gamify them in ways that are similar to other countries. So not every mini game is developed particularly for a country. We can reuse mini games in different contexts. But the order of the didactical elements of the game, that's something that's sometimes different between countries. And that would, for instance, also probably be different in, in the Netherlands. So if we would develop a game like this for yeah. the Netherlands, we'd have to base it on the Dutch uh, curriculum. Yeah. And also the thing is you always have uh, different languages as well, which you need to support. Uh, um, how do you go about that? So who does kind of the translations and stuff like that? Is it all done in the country itself? or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's the there's a sort of preparation phase where the curriculum is is uh, is gamified. Mm -hmm. uh, then we work together with a, a Dutch uh, game supplier for us. So that's uh, Anne Ranch in Rotterdam. Um, they they build the game. They do the development. They do parts of the design, particularly the game design. Uh, but they then again work with local suppliers in country yeah. uh, for pr production of the contents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, what you mentioned the logging in as well. Um, I was wondering about that because the 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 kind of places these uh, tablets and stuff like uh, like that are deployed, uh, they I can imagine in some cases don't have an internet access or not, not a stable internet internet access. So how does that work? Because you still want to collect all the uh, kind of data that you get from that, right? So how, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. So so this is. This is part of why this project is so fascinating because we have to do these kinds of design challenges all the time. Mm. We have to work around these, these challenges. So one thing about logging in, of course, I thought you were going to ask about that, yeah. is how, <laughs> how does a child log in if they don't know how to read and write? Yeah, so, that's also one, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about that one, but that's also so, one. So there, there's a design challenge there where you have to create passwords based on images. So that's what we have now. Uh, but, but yeah, your, the other question also makes a lot of sense. How do you log in if you don't have internet? Yeah. So the way we do that now is we, um, of course, we're, we're always in a managed environment. So we don't provide games directly to, let's say, um, a, a tablet a child would at, have at home or their parents would have at home. We're always in a learning center or a school environment. So there's a teacher present or a learning facilitator present. Um, and what we do is we, we have our student administration portal, which you can only access if you have an online environment. So typically that will be at, uh, at HQ or a country office where you register the students. Registering the students gives you a student ID, and the student ID has a, has a checksum number in it. So mm -hmm. not every uh, integer is a valid student ID. Um, we create a, a, a list of, of names and student IDs, and we distribute that to the, to the schools and to the learning centers. Um, over there, there's no internet, or there's not always internet. So what they do is they create student accounts on the tablet um, with that given student ID. Hmm. And now the game uses the same checksum as the student administration portal. So the game can check whether that's a valid student ID or not. Um, if it is, then you can start playing. Then the game generates log files um, based on gameplay, sort of event logs. And those log files need to be shipped back to our student administration portal okay. because we want to monitor the progress of the children for a variety of reasons. It's about program management. We're also doing a lot of research. Our donors want to know how the learning goes, what's the attendance rate, etc. So we need to have that information. Um, so that information is then sent back to the server in a variety of ways. 
we can dive into this if you want. Yeah, go ahead. About yeah, I want to know. <laughs> so, so imagine having this package on a tablet, right? Yeah. And then there's a there's a server in the Netherlands. That's where the packet needs to arrive, right? That's where yeah. the database is. But we don't have internet. So what we what we do is we we basically we're sort of building on a catalog of connectivity options, and there's there's a whole range of options, of course. I mean, there's there's of course Wi-Fi, there's connected internet. Some locations you have that, others you don't. Sometimes there's mobile, can be two two G, three G, four G. You could even think about more exotic solutions, and that's something that we're looking at right now. Like, can we do this with SMS, or can we do this with uh, long-range Wi-Fi, which which has a much bigger span than than current Wi-Fi? IoT maybe or yeah, I mean, the, the, well, it's a little bit harder because of the package size, probably. But yeah, well, the package size is 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 pretty limited. I okay. mean, we 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 try to minimize that. So mm-hmm. that's 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 also part of 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 course um, providing a product for a, a sometimes limited infrastructure. Mm. Um, and what we have to provide, of course, is a product that works in every infrastructure. So it's like a, a lowest common denominator problem. Yeah. You, you can't go for a solution that works in ha- half of the infrastructure. You have to do it. It has to work ev- everywhere. But in some contexts where there is a, a, a Wi-Fi available, for example, um, we've developed solutions that um, basically applications that you can an application that you can install on a tablet that automates the sending of the packages like on a daily basis. So it becomes less manual work for a teacher or IT officer. Yeah, yeah so the, the, uh, what you're essentially saying is that, um, uh, so every student has an own tablet. Is that, the, is that correct? In some contexts they do. In some contexts we have multiple students on one tablet mm-hmm. and they play in sessions on a day. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I was thinking about that. So um, essentially what you do is actually you kind of cache all those results that you have on the tablet itself. And then uh, at a point where you do get internet or something like that, or any kind of connectivity, uh, you would be able to send it to your server, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and at some points we never get the internet because there's simply no yeah that, no that, cables that, uh, no what no. happens then yeah so then we have someone who who goes into a car uh, drives to a, <laughs> oh, really to a village <laughs> with a with a laptop uh, hooks up the tablets to the laptop and, and we have a, a script which sort of gathers all the data uh, and I should also say that all the data packets once they come off the tablet they're PGP encrypted. And yeah, they're only course. decrypted yeah. uh, server side, so everything that's transmitted in between is uh, is uh, shielded off. So uh, someone drives actually to a to a village, let's say somewhere in Sudan, collect all the data, drive back a couple of hours, sometimes even a day. Yeah. And then they they reach a location where they have internet and they upload it to the server. Yeah. And what are some kind of the other challenges that you have uh, apart from internet connectivity? Are there other challenges that? Um, you you mentioned the the charging and stuff like that. So w- what what kind of other challenges did, did you face as well in this kind of project to uh, get everything working? Because I can imagine that even some remote villages don't even have electricity. Exactly. Yeah. How how, how does that work? Yeah. Well, so you can do without internet. Yeah. It, it just, electricity it's a is a lot of work. <laughs> electricity is more difficult. Yeah. With with tablets, so you need ele- electricity. So we uh, we provide solar power in in some contexts. So ah, we, we okay. set that up. Um, also, another challenge is the um, the charging cabinet that we uh, that we use. We've been experimenting with that with different types of charging cabinets. Sometimes we 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 ship them from a factory. Sometimes they get locally produced. Um, I mean, there's different pros and cons and cost benefit. But, yeah, of course. Uh, what we do find is that we're gravitating towards a solution which is really adapted to the context, and that means uh, low cost preferably locally produced because everything we can do in 
in country you want to do in country. Yeah. Um, and it helps also, the country as well. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's our, that's our mission as well. I yeah. It's part of our mission. Um, and um, it should be adapted to your environment. So you can imagine in some countries it gets a lot hotter than here, for example. So how do you? Yeah, so you can you, you can either uh, then go for a huge cooling fan, or you can design it maybe in such a way. So we've been thinking actually about using cloth to uh, to to as a, as a protective cover. Yeah, to shield it. Yeah. To shield it rather than because because you need to keep the box out, like lit- literary box. You need to keep them out of the of the tablet cabinet. So you can use cloth for that, but cloth then at the same time provides a nice ventilation as well so ah. but these are designs that don't uh, exist or at least i haven't seen them around yet so we're, we're we're trying to come up with them as we go along and trying to not only uh, do iterative innovation on on the, on the game but mm-hmm. also on, on the whole sort of ecosystem of, of products that we have to deliver around that in order to have children playing the game yeah and the the what what's kind of my question about that is that uh, how do you do that because that's that's uh, again, more that's even different, even more different from just creating a software product, right? Uh, if you also need to think about the hardware and and stuff like that. So uh, uh, th- this question is kind of twofold. Uh, one, the tablets th- those are probably supplied by a, a general uh, uh, supplier, right? So I don't know if it's like Samsung or something like that. But um, and the other question about that is uh, the those boxes, as you said, they are locally produced, but who kind of designs those things? Is that something that you do in-house or you work together with another partner or whatever? It's it's typically not something that we would do, let's say, in the Amsterdam office. Yeah. Uh, we would always try to work together with uh, local offices. Um, we find suppliers there. Uh, we, we do requirement engineering, of course, because there's some requirements yeah, that, we, that we know of and some that we don't know of. Um, in uh, currently, we're working together with a university in uh, in, uh, in Britain to uh, um, to help us aid in the design process, and then and then we're looking at a variety of of, of options of product producing that. So one would be to find a local supplier, do a tender, and then have them design and build it. Another would be to um, to start up a competition locally, like a national competition, asking students to do the design, and then and then having a supplier build them. So and and. The, the interesting thing is you can you can really sort of start integrating it as a as a as a larger product than we originally envisioned. So, for yeah. instance, solar power, solar power could become part of this charging device. So we have like a nice package that's adapted to the environment that works well there, and it's something that we could have never come up with ourselves. Yeah. So you could, uh, for example, leave the box outside if it's a sunny country yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it will automatically power itself and stuff like that's, that. Yeah. Yeah. But but then you know if you leave it outside. In a particular context, is it is it secure? Yeah, I, it, it's, that's a good it's, one. I'm, I'm not. We're not always able on our end to assess that situation. So that's something that we that we typically would ask the countries to do an assessment like that. Yeah. What, what else, uh, I was wondering about. So we talked about the electricity part. We talked about the internet part. But what are some other challenges that you uh, that you have seen that that you didn't think about uh, beforehand? Are there any other ones? Yeah, I. Um, so my background is technology, right? Yeah. So I've I've been in the humanitarian world for a little over a year now, um, and what I've found so far is that the the most interesting challenges, even though I'm I'm a nerd and you know when I hear about blockchain, <laughs> I want to know how it works, etc. The most interesting challenges are on the interface uh, between those cultures, those like the humanitarian and, and, and tech. Um, so whenever we um, 
whenever we start working in a particular context, uh, we find that our assumptions, or some of our assumptions, were not valid. And so we have to find ways to, uh, to, to work around that. Uh, so the connectivity is, is one, for example. I, I knew about a mobile in, in Africa. It's big, like millions of users every, yeah. every month. Uh, but the way you integrate that and that you could, for instance, ask a teacher who has a mobile to start doing the uploads, it's not something that we, that we think about from the start, from the outset. It's something that you get to hear from the, from the countries. Kind of challenge maybe. It's not just a technical challenge, but I think there's a, there's a bigger challenge, and which is to, to create a common understanding between uh, those sectors. Okay. So Between the humanitarian and the technology. Right? Exactly, yeah. So from a, from a tech perspective, um, you'd probably design the program in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And, and coming in from that perspective, um, you, you, you're, you're sort of accustomed to think about scalability, efficiency. Um, so the idea of developing different games for different countries, for example, you'd say, well, can't we just build one game that works in every country? Yeah, that's, that's what I th- thought as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then it takes a learning process to actually understand the context, understand the sector, understand the needs of, in this case, our, our children, our students. Yeah. To, 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 I mean, you know it going in from the start that it's a good idea because you know, people came up with it and people know what they're doing. Uh, but to actually um, create a full understanding of why it's such a good idea and, and sort of get yourself behind it, that, that takes some time to actually get to know the, the problem. Yeah. And I think, I think that, that works both ways. I mean, for the, for the sector, or the, maybe, maybe I should just talk about our program. For our program, it also took some time to think about... Um, typical technological challenges in terms of productization and scalability. Um, so, of course, one of the things that as you, as you start developing a program, to start developing software, you, you need supporting software around that, and then um, it makes the program and the, the solution, so to speak, more rigid. Yeah. And so how do you maintain flexibility? Uh, and, and I think that's a, it's a, it's a very general challenge in all, all IT and, yeah, and tech. Exactly. Yeah. How do you maintain flexibility if you're honing towards productization and scalability? And um, yeah, there's there's no there's no one good solution for that, of course. But it's a continuous challenge. I would say almost like on a daily basis, we need to think about. Uh, we we know what we want. We know where we're heading towards. We're working on that every day. At the same time, we we need to stay adaptive uh, and stay stay. Keep, keep looking at, at potential opportunities to improve our product and to think about other products that would work and not lose sight of our ultimate goal, which is to create a learning environment for, for these children who otherwise don't have access to learning. Yeah, and the, the, so the kind of challenge is actually that you... Um, it, it's hard to understand on, uh, on first hand or before you even start what kind of... Uh, what kind of need there really is, right? Because you you've learned that through kind of iterating through the things that you already did. As you said, you uh, released to production, and then kind of the whole uh, the kind of challenges came in uh, after that. So it was after the fact that you kind of see uh, other things. I I can uh, imagine how that is because uh, we did a product product as well and. Uh, when we first released it, everybody was like, "Okay, this is really cool." We can, but can it do this? And they were like, "Okay, yeah, it cannot do that yet. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it needs to be. It needs to be uh, iterated, iterated." Yeah, iterated that's, that's why they say, you know, fail fast, yeah, and then yeah, you, you learn is. fast. Um, but but then in a context where you're not 
you're not allowed to learn uh, to fail fast. Yeah. And you can't you can't <laughs> say, um, look, uh, we're just testing this. Here, have your education, and we'll see if it works. No, it has to be quality education always. Uh, so within that set of constraints, within mm. knowing that you what you deliver is good, where do you find the, the agility? That's that's a it's a very interesting challenge. I yeah. Think. And it's 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 really something that um, that I think you get when you come from tech and you enter a new context. I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's, it only applies to humanitarian context. I think it applies to other contexts that are typically um, not thinking about the same things as, as, as tech would. Yeah. So uh, w- would you say that, uh, for example, if, uh, say, for instance, uh, people that were in humanitarian work for a long time, uh, say they would create this kind of solution, uh, Let's take out the whole te- technical equation here, but that they kind of know about tech and they uh, know what to do. Do you think it would be a different solution than what you have right now? Well, that's that's very very difficult to answer. Yeah, I I I I wouldn't know. Um, I think. Well, I think I think there's a reason why, and it's 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 smart to uh, to uh, at some point start looking, of course, uh, outside your own domain yeah. for for expertise. Yeah. Um, I, I I wouldn't imagine yeah, what it would the, look the, like. The reason I'm asking is actually because um, technologically, techno- technology is kind of a totally different thing than doing humanitarian work and uh, knowing about that. So the, the, the reason I'm asking is actually because uh, you have a kind of a fresh perspective on the whole uh, idea. That's where, what, where the, the question kind of came from. Um, what, what, what's also interesting to me is actually um, what what how do you kind of get all the input that you want to have uh and know what to to change next so is that do you have like uh, channels that people can uh can use for example the teachers to kind of give you feedback on uh what could be changed how, how does that work yeah yeah that's well that's that's one of the challenges of course is how do, yeah how do we get feedback um we 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 work together with many partners yeah uh implementing partners uh, implementing in this in the humanitarian sense, so, yeah. so who, who work in the in the countries and and help us uh, scale. Um, we we try to leverage their their knowledge as much as we can because they are in contact with uh, the teachers and also the children who play, and and ask them for um, advice, uh, feedback, um, issues that appear. I mean, we we have a, we have a setup, of course. Uh, a typical IT support setup where we use uh, Jira like Service Desk. We have a ticketing. Um, so, so, and we have like reports, calls, etc. So we have this infrastructure set up. Um, but yeah, sometimes we have to deal with teachers who are not connected to internet, who don't have electricity, who don't have an email address. <laughs> yeah, that's also who don't speak thing. English. Yeah. Um, so, so there's always some uh, some some translation. Yeah, uh, th- that's interesting that you say that because, um, say for instance, those people that uh, are working for you in those kind of countries, so the implementing partners, if you will. Um, uh, how does that go when you want to uh, translate? Because uh, I think it's hard to translate something that's uh, from a non-technical perspective to translate something into a requirement or uh, maybe a feature that you want to have. Uh, how, how does that work? Uh, do you, do you have any difficulties with that? Or uh, th- well, so it needs to go both ways. So mm. it's it's uh, you, you you try to meet each other. I think yeah. That's so we we as a team. Uh, we are used, and also the, 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 let's say the tech side of the team, we have we have trained ourselves and become used to um, understanding the context. Yeah. So that's I think that's a really important part of our work to understand the context, to know the people well, 
uh, that we're working with in the country. And also to, yeah, you need people who are able to make the translation themselves. So if you get feedback on a game. That's, yeah, that's the one, yeah. Where's, yeah is this an issue? Is this, is this important? Um, that's, that's something that... Is it maybe a bug or whatever? Is it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's something typically on, let's say, product owner level, also mm-hmm. on the developers and also on support, but typically where you, where you have to make that translation. I think that's also uh, one of the defining aspects of a good product owner is it's something, so it's someone who understands the field, the domain, and is able to translate that to a technical requirement. But that's, a, that's an extremely difficult job. I yeah, that's, it's, I do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. It's, it's hard because uh, people will tell you, okay, I want this and this and this, but then you need to think about, okay, but how am I going to get this into an interface? Yeah. Or how am I going to, to create this? And everything's thing? important. Everything's must if you ask users. <laughs> everything's so, urgent. <laughs> so how do you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you not, and how do you not only discern between the, the must-haves and the nice-to-haves, but also how do you keep your stakeholders happy? Yeah. How do you keep them you know, confident and, and they start trusting you uh, instead of, you know, you get, as a user, you, you give feedback and you get turned down all the time. I mean, that's also, there's also sort of the stakeholder management part that's uh, yeah. necessary yeah. for both. So uh, how, how big is the team that you have right now in the Netherlands? Well, it depends on where you start counting. So mm-hmm. we work with suppliers um, at, and also even internally in War, at Warchild, it's, it's hard to say because you have like roles that are, that are shared between yeah, departments, yeah. etc. But um, we have, um, I would say, about four people working from a tech role, tech yep. background. We have uh, maybe five, six people working more from sort of design background. Um, so all in all, I think the team will be 12, 15 people uh, at Amsterdam. And then, of course, we have uh, suppliers. Yeah, for the software, for the games, and uh, yeah, and also, like but also for the um, for the content and for the co-creation and design, and yeah. and that's that's just the tech production. I mean, there's there's of course all different sides of, uh, of 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 running a program, finding partners, and the implementing partners themselves is is a completely yeah. So <laughs> so there's there's if you, if you so the, the the narrowest scope would be that team. Uh, I think I think a broader scope, and I think it's actually better to talk about this broader scope because it's it's a, it's a very big team. There's 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 hundreds of people involved in 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 having the program running. Yeah, yeah and um, you mentioned that um, it was a little bit before the uh, for before the recording, but uh, you kind of get all the data in one place so you get everything to uh, to the netherlands for example so what what happens uh, to that data you mentioned that you kind of uh, uh i don't know if you kind of publish that to your uh, to your donors as well but um what what happens more with uh, with that kind of data what what kind of things uh, can you do with that as well yeah yeah so recently we've moved to a different uh, paradigm in, uh, in in collecting the data what we had before is we had certain expectations on what we wanted to measure. Let's say um, a progress per child or attendance rates for a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we did is we 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 took the the log files, or when I say we took them, this this whole cumbersome <laughs> process that I just talked about. We get them into the database finally, and then we we create reports based on those uh, based on that data. And the reports are used for uh, monitoring, so knowing what's going on, managing the program better game design so game designers also would like to know like which games work best which games children struggle with etc um research so war child we have a we have a great research department at war child okay. uh, so we we uh, create publication academic publications on on the work we're doing um and also our donors want to know like 
what what is going on, how's the the increase, what are the results, etc. So we have to feed that back. So that's and 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 then yeah, finally, of course, there's tech. Uh, so the um, we have to support this whole tablet fleet. We have to know what's installed, what's going on, etc. So there's a number of questions coming from all these stakeholders. And what we did previously is is do a transformation. So I upload my log file. I take from it what I want to know, and then I send that to the to these stakeholders and create reports. The different philosophy now is it's more sort of an event sourcing idea, where um, you you store everything that comes in, you create a detailed log of what has happened over the history. So not just the latest knowledge, but everything. You have to be very careful with what you then collect in terms of uh, privacy and yeah, also of course, in terms yeah. of that. And so we have to adhere to all these policies, maybe even more than another organization because we're working with very vulnerable children. But then we have this, this history log on a very detailed level. And so we can start thinking and become more agile about what actually do we want to know. So it doesn't become just um, question-driven from, uh, let's say, uh, someone who's in monitoring and thinks, oh, I have to write a report. I need, this to, know is, this. I need yeah. to know this number. Like how many children played the game last month in Lebanon? That would be a question they would ask. But what we can do now is actually ha- have more flexibility and say, well, how many, how many girls played in the last month in Lebanon? Well, that's a different question that previously we wouldn't get from the reports. Mm. But now we can look back in the history logs and, and we have this detailed information. So we have more granular access. We can do different reporting. Um, also, and this is something that we're, uh, let's say, on the verge of exploring. So I think actually already next month we might have some results on this we are going to look we're going to do a feasibility study into um predictive analytics mm-hmm. given all these event logs can we do some predictions now this is this is ex- it's hard <laughs> I, it's, I, I, yeah i was going to say it's very hard it's also extremely interesting from a from a tech perspective but also from a from a sector humanitarian sector perspective mm-hmm. what can you do with that and with can i mean not just technically, like what's possible, because of course there are correlations in the data, and of course we can yeah, we can apply machine learning and get those correlations out. But also, what what can we do for the benefit of of our children? Um, and so, one thing to give you an example that yeah. I think would be uh, interesting to look at is uh, dropout prediction. So, rather than trying to predict maybe the outcome of a learning process, which, which could have some applications, but you have to be very careful with these kind of things because sometimes it won't be correct. And if you draw any conclusions on that, it's, yeah. it's, it might not be in the benefit of the, of the child playing. So we, we don't want to do that if, it, if it's not in the benefit. But predicting the probability of a child dropping out, or better said, finding the indicators, and those could be could be in the gameplay, could also be the demographics of the child, etc. Finding the indicators of when a child is at risk of dropping out by itself doesn't mean much, but if we feed that to a teacher, for example, we could tell the teacher, look, in your class, you have a couple of children who might be at risk of dropping out. We want to prevent that. It's up to you. You're, you're, you, you know better than us. because How you're, to do it, yeah. Yeah, and also you know the children. We don't. Yeah. So you know better than us to how to decide. But, but yeah, maybe be aware of that. This is how we came to that conclusion. Maybe you want to have a, have a chat with those children to keep them in. And that's something that you can A-B test because mm. that's something that's, that's within the bounds of quality education. We have a human actor in the loop. So we, we, we have this sort of reasonable judgment that you sometimes don't get with machine learning and data mining. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it's, it's something, like I said, it's a feasibility study. So yeah, we have course. to um, figure out if this is something that we want. Yeah. First, we're looking at, is this something that we can do technically? And then is it something that we want? 
But I think it's very interesting to to move in this direction. Yeah, because um, you the teacher would have known. Well, it, it's not when I look at it. It's not even just the 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 children that you are trying to service. But that's that's a a, a broad in a broader sense in education would be interesting to see if there are kind of uh, yeah kind of signaling points why a child would drop out or whatever. Uh, because then you can actually not based on feeling but based on some data that you already have uh create like a how would you say it it, it would you could give uh, a particular t- child maybe more attention because they need it or uh something yeah. like that right yeah for example yeah 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 so i think i think the goal because you know ai is is hitting every field it's also hitting yeah. education and also not just in the context where we work but globally i think the the goal shouldn't be to replace a teacher I don't mm-hmm. think, I, th- I think, I, I mean, I've, I've teached. Uh, I know that there's a lot more to teaching than just didactics, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, but um, to, to augment teaching. I think AI as an augmentation tool is great in yeah. a lot of contexts. So, yeah, not just in a humanitarian context, but also uh, maybe in a different educational context. How can AI be applied to make uh, the life of teachers easier and to to improve the quality of their education. I think that's a, that's a that's a good question to ask at this point. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's interesting that we are in a position where we could also ask those questions. Yeah. yeah it's and uh, it's something that uh, I don't see a lot of in normal education actually. Uh, no. These kind of studies and these kind of uh, yeah kind yeah. of tries to 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 get to that. Yeah. Um, what what I was wondering as well is that uh, you've been working on this project for a little while now. Um, what's kind of the impact that you see uh, that you see coming from that technology that you're bringing in right now? So how uh, how does it kind of prove itself in con- in the in the real world? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's different levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the primary level is we have over eight thousand children right now. Uh, learning which otherwise might not be learning and uh, it will help them in uh, the future education uh, sometimes in the case of refugees if they move back to their original country they might they might stream into uh, different programs because of this so there, there's the impact yeah um, there's a sort of a secondary impact i would call it which is um and I think that's it's research mostly which brings it, and that is knowledge building and expertise building in the sector as a whole. So that's that's of course also to the benefit of our program, but also to the benefit of any future program uh, wanting to do uh, e-learning, something like this. Yeah, yeah, something like this. There's so many learnings we could already sort of write up right now on on the things that we do about um, what kind of tech do you need, what kind of design do you need. What kind of program do you need? Um, and what are the results of, of particular choices that we made? Um, I think I think just doing this sort of... It's not pioneering work because it's been done before, and of course, but it feels like pioneering work yeah. because we, we have to invent a lot of things for the first time. Um, doing it in a sort of pioneering way really feels like we can also contribute to, to, to future programs like this. Yeah. Yeah. And how cool would it be, for, for example, that in a few years you kind of uh, get to know someone 
maybe from one of those countries and say, oh yeah, that game, I, I can remember it because when I was yeah. a child, I used yeah. to play it yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, that's the kind of the, the, the cool thing about it, right? Yeah. So the impact that you can and, get. And then the, the, you know, what seem like minor decisions that you make uh, that we've already made at some point where you say, oh, let's include this, let's not do that, let's, let's have, for example, we have uh, handwriting recognition in the game. So it's not just uh, typing, learning to type, it actually... Mm. Uh, we, we work. Uh, one of our partners is a uh, MyScript. It's a French company. They they do handwriting recognition, and they donated their library to us. So we oh, integrated cool. it in the game. Yeah, because it is it's offline, right? So yeah, it, it yeah. has to work offline on tablet, real time, and then we use that for a variety of languages and also for math, etc. To allow the children, they have like this stylus pen to allow them to also write uh, in the game. So that's for us. This is a decision that we made uh, a while back. Are we going to do this? Are we going to pursue this and include this? It seemed at that point like, well, not a minor decision, but it's yeah. just a decision you make at a certain day. Like, okay, let's go for it. Let's do this. To think about if, you know, if we continue to scale, and continue to be successful, what impact that might have in so many countries and contexts over the years to come. That's, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, what what do you think the future will bring in that in that respect? So for, for example, for, this pro- for the project that you are working on, uh, is it more based on uh, getting more countries involved or what, what do you what do you kind of yeah feel? so so scaling is is one yeah uh of course uh, so and that would be more contacts more countries also of course scaling within the countries where we are numbers of uh, of, uh, of of children playing uh, schools um also productization in the sense that we um this this common core of of game building that we have, we want to improve that, and we want to have those improvements um, impact all the games that are out there. So let's say we do a, a, a different type of game or a different type of change to the common core, we we immediately can do updates on all the games that are out there and improve them that yeah. way. So that creates more scalability. Um, but it's also in terms of organization. Like to give you an example of another challenge. If you have 50 tablets, you just go to the shop, you buy them, you install your software, and you, you know, you, you, send you can them always to update. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now, now, if you have 10,000 tablets or 50,000 tablets, where do you buy them? How do you install them? How do you update yeah. them, et cetera? How do you manage that fleet? Those are completely different questions. Um, we've been asking them for a while to ourselves now, and, and we have some solutions. But that's, that's the direction that we also will be moving towards more and more. Uh, have, having having uh, partners around us, so not just implementing partners, but also uh, suppliers, hardware, software suppliers that fit, but also grow with us. Yeah. I think that's that's on a also management level, program management level. That's a that's a challenge that we'll we'll continue to face. Okay, yeah, it's a lot of cogs in one big uh, rig that you are kind of trying yeah. to build. Yeah, and yeah, that's for me. That's also one of the. Um, Maybe the most interesting aspect yeah. or fascinating aspect of it is, and and of course that's an advantage of the position that I have. I get to see all the parts. Yeah, yeah. So from beginning to end, software, hardware, program implementation. Yeah, you kind of need to have a helicopter view of everything that's yeah. going on, right? I yeah. think that's that's primarily the role of any CTO that's working in a kind of technological space, right? Uh, it's they we all need to have that kind of view of everything that's going on. We don't need to know everything in detail, but uh, it's still kind of a helicopter view in that in that sense. Yeah, um, and, and then seeing all those parts, uh, those cogs, sort of yeah. working together as planned, working out nicely, and then it's sort of coming down to one 
tablet in the hands yeah. of a child playing a game learning that's mm. that's really sort of a yeah so a rewarding effect yeah, yeah. Re- rewarding thing to to observe from from knowing what how many cogs are are in there yeah, yeah so i have just uh, one more question and that's uh, to wrap it up i always ask this question and you know i think what's coming <laughs> so uh we you kind of touched on it a little bit before uh but uh, what what are you kind of most proud of since you you started well, I, well, if you ask this question every time, I've, I probably have the easiest answer because <laughs> for me, it's just you know seeing these these pictures and hearing the stories of of children who are playing the game and who are happy playing it. Uh, last week, we received a report from uh, teachers in Jordan where um, we heard that that children like coming back to school. So uh, normally, like I said, dropout is a big problem. So you have children in your classroom and suddenly they don't come to your classroom anymore. That's, that's yeah, that's of course. That's scaling, yeah. That's, yeah. So uh, hearing that the children and the teachers like the games, they like to play it, and children actually come back to school for that, I think that's, that's very, I mean, that's something to be proud of. Yeah. Um, particularly, like I said, because knowing all the different aspects and, and, and work that, that came into it and all the people who are involved and were involved, sort of seeing that as a whole, and then finally hearing about those those stories that's that's yeah it's very easy to be proud of that yeah. very cool yeah, yeah i think i think it's cool to kind of have an impact on the world <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. yeah even even it's if it's a few countries it's already uh, cool to kind of have that uh, that feeling that's, of uh, yeah i mean it's it's, it's a fascinating aspect of, of having this yeah this, this, this yeah job is, technology yeah. is a crazy thing uh, in that in that respect yeah so yeah um yeah, so to wrap up, uh, where can uh, people find Warchild actually on the internet? Um, so, well, uh, I would I would suggest Googling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our, our program is called Can't Wait to Learn. Okay. Um, there's, there's, there's lots of information out there. And if, if people are interested, feel free to just reach out to me. I mean, I'm, I'd be happy to, uh, to answer their questions. Sure. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll I, lo- I love in. talking about, about tech and our, about our program. Um, but but there's 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 some good videos and and and, and information material out there. Cool, very cool. And uh, for the listeners, you can uh, find the Bits versus Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com. Uh, we're on um, all major uh, podcasting platforms, so Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, and also Stitcher. Tune in, uh, basically everywhere. <laughs> and uh, of course, on social media, it's all Bits vs Bytes on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, and uh, Instagram. Uh, 